0: Ho, ho, ho! Greetings from the North Pole, and welcome to Money and D! We're giving presents to all the boys and girls for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We've been making a list and checking it twice, and delivering common sense solutions to all your complex problems, naughty or nice. And now, here are my delightful elves. Oh, sorry, I mean doctors. Well,
1: how about it, money elf?
0: Yes. a
1: great week, isn't it?
0: Also known as the uh, Money Doctors.
1: Money Doctors. Right, right. We but that time here. of the year,
0: we can be money elves.
1: We can. We can. We love that title <laughs> as well. And, uh, you know, it's just a great week in general. A lot of interesting things happen in sports this week.
0: Yeah, you go right to sports. It's Christmas season. You know, it's a couple days away. You've I got do. all your shopping done. I do,
1: but we're in the playoffs, man. Yeah. got to kind of, you know. This is true. I'm a Clemson grad. And the golf. Those, and that's true. The golf, I mean, the President's Cup was amazing, it was wasn't it? I mean, fantastic. what Tiger did to captain the team and to lead them. To that dramatic comeback on Sunday took down that Mexican hot shot yeah. you know first out that 's a fun singles. event
0: to watch i mean because it 's different because normally it 's just golfer on golfer, but now when they get when they get teamed up i mean it's It's different.
1: Yeah, and it's like, you know, I went to one in 2008 up in Louisville, and, uh, you know, it's like going to a football game that lasts four days. Yeah. Um, It was pretty incredible. That's awesome. You know, it really is, because they're cheering, chanting, doing the wave and all kind of stuff out there. So that was pretty incredible. And then what happened Monday night with, you know, Drew Brees breaking the NFL record. uh,
0: All-time touchdown.
1: Touchdown record, 541. And then on the same night, he he threw for the highest percentage ever. Wow. 29 of 30 completed passes. We can just
0: make this a sports show. You know there's recruiting going on as well, maybe, right?
1: Maybe we ought to change the name of we- our show. This <laughs> <laughs> Recruiting's going on. Clemson <laughs> predicted to have like yeah.
0: they're having a great yeah, they are, recruiting they-
1: season, so yeah.
0: Yeah, so anything else sports-wise? You no, got... I
1: guess we ought to talk about money. <laughs> I love sports, We've though. we got
0: some great topics today, don't we? We
1: do. We do. Speaking of great topics, um, you know, we're going to talk about what to expect next year. Um, that's the big question, Get you the know. the
0: crystal ball out, huh?
1: Yeah, well, you know, we're having such a great year this year. It's winding down to be a really great year in the market. Everybody's starting to question, well, what does that mean about next year? Mm-hmm. And so there's some new research out that kind of answers that. And then we're also going to dig in a little bit to the unpredictable nature of all of it and what the evidence shows about that.
0: Yeah. And I'm going to uh, follow that up with a uh, not a real positive article, but we get a lot of questions on this is like what happens to your debt when you pass away?
1: That actually is a great question. It
0: is. It really is. And uh, we're going to go through the different types of debt and what happens with them. Uh, you know, is your estate left with them? Does your family have to pay them? And then we're going to talk about some steps to make sure that it's not an issue when you do pass away. So it's a good topic. Uh, it's not not super positive this time of the year, but it's something that you want to make sure you understand.
1: Yeah, that's an important topic. That's good. And by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 23 years experience of providing financial planning and investment advice.
0: And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals individuals with planning for over 27 years.
1: Well, I actually have 25 years. Do you I, 25? I, I, yeah, just about. Okay, just about. Anyway. it's getting up there. Yeah, that's right. I <laughs> that mean, you're getting <laughs> you, old. You're getting old, though. Oh, you yeah, said, we're
0: both getting old. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, we won't hey, go it's there. wisdom. We wisdom, won't go right? there. But, hey, we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcast are up every Friday afternoon.
0: Yeah, you can listen to the podcast by going to our website, moneymd.net. You can listen directly from the uh, your computer, or you can download it to your uh, your favorite uh, listening device and uh, carry us on your walks or wherever you're going. Also, check out our Facebook page, MoneyMD. We have a uh, weekly uh, uh, prescription of the week that we put on there. It's usually pretty entertaining.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. Most of the time. That's a good one. You want to listen to that for sure. And uh, also, you can link to us um, off our website, moneymd.net. We'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear any questions you have. And that leads us up here to our fact of the week.
0: Yeah, and this is, uh, I'll just go ahead and be frank with you. This is pretty useless information, but people are interested in it. Um, They are,
1: because we do get questions a lot about
0: what does an election year hold. That's right. But you can't make decisions on this fact. And the fact is 17 of the last 19 presidential election years have produced a positive return for the S&P 500. The only down years um, dating back all the way to 1944 were in 2000 and 2008. So, again, 17 of 19 have been positive. You know, people fret about that, and, uh, you know, quite frankly, at the end of the day, it's going to be based on how the economy is doing, how corporations are doing, you know, some of the... The perceptions of uh, the future and and the election—it doesn't mean it's not going to be you know some ups and downs associated with it. But don't make decisions based on the time of the year.
1: Yeah, I think you know a lot of people think that you know election years are negative years for the market or not uh, not as positive years, but in fact they're they're statistically they're slightly more positive. Mm-hmm. But yep. you know you're only looking at like twenty five yeah. election years in the past hundred years, so there's not enough data points there to make any. Real conclusions, 89%, though, is a pretty positive number. You always have a better chance of, of going up than down. Well, the fact the is,
0: is the markets are up 75% of the time. That's right. I mean, exactly. so go with the odds.
1: There you go. Go with the odds. But uh, interesting fact, nonetheless, and um, that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is what to expect next year um, following a great year this year. Um and, and what are, you know, the unpredictable nature of that as well? This is based on an article out of CNBC very recently, Jesse Pound. Uh, but, John, you know, we've been hearing more and more from people who are concerned about next year. Um, what will hold for the stock market following a great year this year? And the rhetoric has really been heating up, you know, more, I think, in the second half of the year since we started hitting a lot of new highs this year. And now that we're likely looking at a stellar year for the markets, Um, finishing up here in the next week, the concern about next year has really hit kind of a fever pitch. So the question is, what does a great year in the stock market say about the next year? Um, And fortunately, there's some new research out from a bespoke investment group, which answers that question and gives us some reasons for optimism, quite frankly, for next year. Because what they found was that a banner year in stocks doesn't necessarily mean that you're borrowing returns from the following year. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the good news. The S&P 500, you know, is is pushing uh, for, you know, a stellar year this year. It's up more than 27%, I think, so far this year. It's the best run um, through mid-December since 1997. Um, But instead of this being a sign that the market is set for a pullback next year, research actually shows that it increases the odds of a positive year the following year. Um, though the gains are typically a little more modest.
0: Yeah, so it does turn out that momentum is a real thing, and it tends to carry over from one period to the next um, to you know a modest degree. And in, in the years where the market was coming off an annual gain of at least 20%, the S&P 500 rose by um, an average of about 6.5%, which was a little bit lower than the uh, average return of um, 7.6% going all the way back to 1928. Um, but the year following a 20% or greater rise was more likely to be positive than other years. So there's the, the momentum piece is, is what they're saying here is a potential factor.
1: Yeah, that's right. In neither the cases are the differences large enough to suggest, you know, a significant evidence that you're going to have a strong year it borrows from, you know, future returns or leads to a stronger than average returns in the year ahead. Um, but a similar pattern is also seen looking at just a few, uh, the last few weeks of the year. Um, in years where the market was up at least 20 percent through December 16th, the last two weeks of the year also saw positive returns 73 percent of the time, um, kind of tracking with an additional 1.7 percent return. Um, but, you know, 73% of the time, again, that's kind of the long-term average mm-hmm. for the statistics of yep. the market being that's up. that's right, right. So it doesn't say a whole lot. But the analyst that was doing this research basically said, you know, that the market going into next year, um, <clears throat> he predicts an average market. Um, he said that, you know, they don't think that they barred we barred returns from the future. Statistically, um, when you see strong years, you don't normally see major underperformance the next year. Um, The absolute size of the return was also, though, not predictive of what the market would do over the next 12 months. When you're looking at every year going back to 1928, the performance of the stock market in one year was not correlated with the performance during the previous year, according to their research.
0: Yeah, you know, of course, this year has served up um, a lot of examples of how unpredictable both the stock and the bond, bond markets are. Interest rates and U.S. policymakers, you know, they expected, um, you know, to to rise, uh, the the interest rates to rise, but they actually fell instead.
1: That's right. Yeah. So 180 degrees from what they thought. Yeah. I mean,
0: you go back to a year ago in December and the markets were, you know, tanking because there was concerns about, you know, recessions and so forth. Uh, And the confidence had weakened as the year began and the news headlines, you know, we're talking about the economic slowdown and so forth, but investors – who moved on the sidelines, they really missed tremendous gains in the markets this year as the S&P 500 is on course for, you know, one of the best showings since 2013 and maybe a couple of decades. It depends on how we close out here, but uh, you just can't make decisions based on headlines.
1: Yeah, people that listened to the rhetoric last December and, you know, bailed on the market, you know, this year, even the beginning of the year, made a huge mistake as a result of that. Um, And outside the U.S., you know, things were also very unpredictable. I mean, Greece was the site of an economic crisis um, a decade ago that was so dire that some expected the country to abandon the euro earlier this decade. And, you know, it was a country whose equity markets lost a third of its value just last year. Um, But it has had one of the most robust stock market performances this year among all the emerging emerging economies. On top of that, Greece issued bonds at negative nominal yields last year. Nice investors yeah had to pay for the privilege of lending money to the government Let's put it in the mattress in Greece last year, things were so bad um but yet they've had you know a a stellar year this year and so taken as a whole, I mean it's a reminder that the prediction game any year it can be a losing one for mm-hmm. investors um interest rates um and the bond market. Uh, also shows just how unpredictable performance can be. If you're going into 2019, the Federal Reserve the expected, you know, economic conditions to support raising rates twice. Instead, the Fed <laughs> lowered rates three times. Yeah,
0: they got it exactly wrong. <laughs> exactly, it's amazing. In the market for U.S. Treasuries, um, where the market, you know, sets the interest rates, the yield curve that tracks the Treasury, it inverted for the first time in more than 10 years as long-term yields fell below the short-term yields over the summer. So, um, you know, they they got that wrong as well. And what's more, yields on medium and long-term bonds uh, that were at historically low levels at the start of the year, they fell even lower by the end of October. And, um, you know, investors who made moves based on the expectation that yields would rise in 2019 were hurt uh, by how the interest rates. So, yeah, I mean, they just missed it. They completely missed it. And if you follow that advice, you missed a banner year.
1: Yeah, that's right. And looking at markets around the world in general, you know, anticipating what they're going to do was no easier um, because, you know, there's no link between uh, what performed well last year and those that performed well this year. Among the 23 developed market uh, countries out there, only one of them was a top five performer both years, last year and this year, and that would be the U.S., Um, You know, last year's strongest performing market outside the U.S. was Finland, um, who ranked 22nd this year as of the end of October. And, you know, if you look at emerging markets, Greece swung from a 37 percent decline to a 37 percent advance this year through October. Um, So that's an example of just how unpredictable it was. So, I mean, history has shown there's no compelling or dependable way to forecast stock and bond movements. And 2019 has been just a a perfect case in point for that. Um, You know, neither the mainstream prognosticators out there, nor the, the hindsight of the recent strong performance predicted the outcomes of 2019. And we expect that there will be an equal number of surprises moving into next
0: year. Yeah, the fact that the markets are very unpredictable and can change rapidly should really start to sink in with you. We talk about this all the time. You know, there's academic research that has shown that market timing and stock picking, they generally don't work. Um, and, in fact, they usually hurt the performance of your return. So, you know, while statistics are on our side for a positive 2020, um, you know, that's there's there's no reason to adjust your allocation, um, trying to figure out is it going to be a good year or a poor year. The reality is 75% of the time, if you look back at, at history, the overall market has been positive so you have a better chance of not of growing your investments and keeping staying invested. you got to get in the right allocation. That's the key. That's right. You know, how aggressive or how conservative are you? And, you know, trying to time the market doesn't work.
1: Yeah. So you have the best chance being in the market of getting a positive return. So once again, I mean, the research suggests that you should stay well diversified, stay invested at the appropriate risk level, For the next year, regardless of what your gut says or the statistics say about where the market might head, you know, fortunately, I mean, we have reasons to be optimistic about where the markets will be next year. Um, However, only time will tell. So meanwhile, follow a disciplined process of diversification. That's the best prescription for your investments in 2020 and the next decade. Yep. So there you go. And that leads us up here to our question of the week.
0: Yeah, my uh, spouse and I are not on board with money, and so the question is, any suggestions? And, you know, we have counseling sessions a lot of times.
1: Yeah, sometimes our our financial planning session turns into a marriage counseling session. It does,
0: it does. And and quite frankly, sometimes I recommend people go and get professional marriage counseling because... The money issue is not a money issue. It's a relationship issue, exactly. and it goes deeper than than money. So if it's just money-related, sitting down, doing a budget, going through Dave Ramsey's FPU class would be some good suggestions. But, you know, you've got to really look at the core of what, what is the disagreement on, um, you know, if it's spending too much money or – Um, you know, not taking care of whatever the needs of the family are, then those issues may be deeper than just financial. So just, you know, the FPU class for a lot of couples is a great solution. It gets them on the same page. There's a process they can follow, talk about it and so forth. But sometimes it goes beyond that.
1: Yeah, and I think it gets the conversation started, and that's the key, you know, is, is talking out these things and getting on the same page, coming to an agreement, and airing your feelings um, because, you know, invariably there is some some feelings there of of uh, when when they're not on the same page is because, you know, one of the spouses feels like they things aren't fair, you know, that maybe the other one spends money on things or time on things. And, you know, so the money issues are making up for something. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, talking it through and I think an FPU class is a great start to that. But, um, yeah, very important. Question of the week, and that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is, uh, you know, what happens to your money when you die? Yeah, your debt. Yeah, well, well, your money goes. (laughs) Your debt. Yeah, I'm sorry, not your money, your debt.
0: (laughs) And this is this comes from the Ramsey organization, and obviously, this is unless you're in the Adams family, this isn't a really popular topic. But we do get a lot of questions on you know, the debt, does the do, do student loans survive? Um, you know, how about your credit card debt? And, you know, the average um, American has about 30000 in personal debt, and that does not include the mortgage. And, and um, you know, while you think all your financial problems will die with you, it's not, that's not the case. I mean, there are things that um, if you don't structure right, your family could inherit that debt or someone else that you love could inherit it as well. So we're going to kind of walk through some some different items here.
1: Yeah. So the question is, who is responsible for your debt after your death? And the answer to that, you know, really depends on a lot of things. Um, So it, it's not there's not one simple answer to that. You know, as a general rule, any debt that's in your name only, and that's the key is your name only, um, gets paid by your state after you die. So your executor of your state is going to be the trusted person you appoint in your will to take charge of of your affairs once you're gone, and they're going to be the ones that would handle your assets. They'll, um, you know, give your family their inheritance out of your estate, anything that goes through probate. Um, And they also will be responsible for paying off your debt out of your estate if necessary. Um, That process is probate, and that's that's what it's for. And um, but... You know what happens if you have more debt than than is in than your estate can pay. I guess that's the question and that's where things get a little tricky.
0: Yeah, definitely. So we start looking at secured versus unsecured debts and so when there when there is an estate that is insolvent, that just means there's more debt than assets. Um, there is a certain order in which creditors are paid and that really varies by state. So I certainly recommend that you go through this, you know, if you need legal help, go to a lawyer and help get them to help you on this, but it, it your debt falls into two categories, secured or unsecured and secured just means that there's an asset that's backing it like a mortgage, you know, or home, car uh, car loans, yep, 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 something like that, boats and so forth. Um, <clears throat> so those are typically sold or maybe repossessed back to the lender. So they're they're taken care of but the unsecured debt like credit cards, medical bills, utilities, personal loans the lender does does not have to um does not have that kind of protection and the bills generally will go unpaid uh, if there's no money to cover them. But each kind of debt you know has its own set of rules and in, in that unsecured. So medical bills is the first one, probably the most complicated. Um, you know when you get Medicaid involved in this, Steve, Medicaid <laughs> can actually come back and put a lien on your house.
1: That's right. To
0: get reimbursed, a lot of people don't realize that. So if you have assets out there and you're on Medicaid. Um, that when that house is sold, they may get the profits associated with it. So medical debt is is uh, certainly takes a priority in the in the probate process. It's complex, um, so you're definitely going to want to consult an attorney on that. But when you get Medicaid in there, they're going to get their money one way or another.
1: And Medicaid, you know, usually that happens with long term care mm-hmm, um, yep. when folks you know kind of run out of money paying for nursing home expenses or assisted living, and then they go on Medicaid. That now becomes a kind of a liability against the estate, and they can come back on the estate and oftentimes do to uh, reclaim what what was paid out <clears throat> to Medicaid. So um, that's the way that works. But then credit cards are another question. You know, if there's a joint account holder associated with a credit card, that person is responsible for keeping up with the payments and any debt associated with it down the road if you were to pass away. Um you know, that does not include authorized card users, okay? So, like, in the business here, you know, we have other users. In my church, we do. We have credit cards, mm-hmm. and other people can use it. <clears throat> but there's always one person that's primary on the card that really is, is it's based on their credit. Um, <clears throat> and that's the way those work. So that's not the same. But if, you know, no one else's name is listed on the account, then the estate is responsible for paying off the credit card. Um and there is not if there is not enough money in the state to cover the payments, then the creditors will typically, you know, take a loss. They'll yeah. they'll write off the amount because it is unsecured debt.
0: Yeah, and another one here: in mortgages. Um, you know, co owners or inheritors inheritors of the mortgage, um, they're just required to keep up the monthly payments. They don't have to pay the mortgage all at once. They can choose to sell it um, to keep it from going into foreclosure. But basically, you you know, if you want to keep it, you'd change the title. You'd retitle it. Um, associated with that. Home equity loans, uh, unlike a basic mortgage, if someone inherits a house that has a home equity loan, they can be forced to repay that loan immediately, which usually results in having to sell the house. So, But you don't have to to die for a home equity loan to backfire on you, so you got to be careful with those. Borrowing on your home beyond the initial mortgage it's usually a bad idea. So save your heirs your the headache by avoiding those home equity loans in the first place. So try not to go into additional debt because you're basically putting your house at risk if you're not able to pay that.
1: That's right. And they actually have a lien on your house even if there's not any any balance on the home equity loan. I just got a letter. I hit, used to have a home equity loan on my house, and I'd forgotten about it, and it was paid off many years ago. And I just got a letter back from the hmm. lender saying, hey, we've closed out this account we're sending this to the courthouse to, you know, be recorded on your deed that there's no lien against your house anymore. And I was like, oh, wow. There's Interesting. There's yeah. lien still on my house yeah. after, you know, all these years. So, uh, yeah, you got to be careful with that. Um, car loans, though, um, <clears throat> you know, that's another secured type of debt. So the, your assets will be used to cover your car loans, but the lender has the ability to repossess the car, um, you know, if there's not of money in this state. So um, otherwise, whoever inherits the car can continue making the payments um, or can sell it to cover the loan. But the car is obviously, you know, there to secure that loan.
0: Yeah. Student loans is another question. A lot of people think you can bankrupt, go, you know, file for bankruptcy and, and get rid of student loans. The only way that you can do that is to to die. <laughs> That's not a good answer. That's not. So, but federal student loans are forgiven upon death. And this includes parent plus loans, which are discharged discharge if either the parent or the student dies. Uh, private student loans, on the other hand, are not forgiven, and they have to be covered by the uh, the deceased estate. But again, if there's not enough money in there, then they'll go unpaid. So it depends on the type of loan. And uh, so another question we get is, can loved ones inherit your debt? And so when the time comes um, and you you know, you know pass down that, that uh, priceless wedding ring or farmhouse, you don't want to... Pr- Pass down those money problems, and we've seen that debt, um, you know, can pass to another person depending on what kind of debt it is.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, the dangers of cosigning um, can't really be overstated. Um, you know, to put it simple, you should never cosign on a loan, and that's because cosigning makes you liable for somebody else's debt. Um, you know, I understand a lot of parents do that for their their kids, for particularly student loans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is understandable, but, you know, if you co-sign for a friend's loan or for medical bills, you're agreeing to make the payments that that person can no longer do it. Um, and if they die, then they are, are definitely, you know, to make the payments, which leaves you on the hook for cleaning up that mess. So save yourself, your loved ones, some financial distress and, and, and do not, uh, co-sign for loans or let them co-sign for you in general, you should try to keep that separate. I mean, if somebody can't get a loan on their own merit, then they really shouldn't be taking that loan in most cases.
0: Mm, that's right. Another one here on the list, Steve, is something that you can inherit is that that old timeshare, I man. Oh boy. thing the thing just thing keeps that on ticking. Doesn't never it never
1: goes away, does it?
0: Goodness. And this it may surprise you, <clears throat> but they have a lot of timeshare contracts have a perpetuity clause in there that uh can can actually be passed on to the estate and they can come back to the estate and uh, and technically, you know, try to collect on that and go through probate and so forth. So, man, if you, those timeshare things, gosh, they they are brilliant. how they use they've marketed it to a forever. And it right. sounds like a positive. But in most cases, it turns out to be a negative.
1: Yeah, You just can't get out of it, you know, with unless less you you go through one of those companies that actually helps you exit it. And they do it by buying it from you for nothing, and then they basically they basically default on it is the way they get out of it
0: yeah that 's right so so mm-hmm. bottom line here's what can creditors take and and creditors they must be notified when someone passes away, they have about three to six months after after the death, um, depending on the state to submit a claim against the estate and um, there are some things that they can 't touch they can 't touch life insurance uh, proceeds benefits. Um, they can't really get to retirement accounts, um, living trust as well is protected as well. But that boat, you know, the prize coin collection, anything else that can be sold for cash, you know, boats and cars and so forth, uh, houses can can cover those debts. So that's one of the reasons um, we're big proponents. And I know the Ramsey folks are as well of getting life insurance. And so making sure that your estate does have assets to to pay your, your, your debts, right? So it doesn't go back on your family. It doesn't cause them stress. You know, we're big believers in term insurance. It's pretty inexpensive. Um, you know, eight to 10 times, uh, 12 times your salary is a reasonable number. So think about life insurance. It kind of takes away some of the stresses. Um, when someone passes, there's a lot of obviously stress in, in that family's life. So don't let the financial piece also, uh, be a stressor in that in that process.
1: That's right. And I would just sum it up by saying, you know, obviously we, we, we're we not proponents of carrying debt into oh, right. retirement yeah. and, you know, into debt. So you need to pay off all your debts long before you you pass away. Um, and and you need to list your assets um, with beneficiaries if you can, you know, so they don't end up in your estate. They don't end up a liability to any creditors in your estate. So if you have IRAs, you have any account, you know, that can have a beneficiary on it, Got to put a beneficiary on it so it bypasses probate and goes directly to your heirs, and you know avoids this problem of being subject to creditors. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all right, good, good topic, and that leads up to our final thing here, and that is the prescription of the
0: week. Yeah, you're you're probably not as financially savvy as you think. Really? That's, that's the John? statement. Yeah. I'm not saying it that's about me. you. you know?
1: You're just in a mean street. <laughs> I'm for, in a mean state. For man. an elf, that's not very nice.
0: You know? I mean, sometimes you got to you know, lay it down. Lay it on the, <laughs> the line. money
1: elves are bringing it there, straight to you. There's a
0: fact that financial literacy um, determines financial health. So you got to be knowledgeable True. and so forth. And there's some studies that are out there. About half the people think that they are extremely or very financially literate. But there was a test that was given, and about half of the people failed, and only 6% performed well enough to actually make an A grade. So we'll disconnect there. Yeah,
1: I think that can be expanded to a lot of things. The human race tends to be overconfident.
0: Yes. <laughs> you
1: know, when everything.
0: Yeah, particularly the uh, Tiger football team sometimes. Uh, but I'm just saying, a, yeah. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Right. Hey, man, we yeah. just had a pretty good recruiting That's class That's right. Here. No, but, but seriously, I'm i mean, I'm with you. Yeah, you definitely— You got to You got to get knowledgeable about your finances. Um, The statistics are true. You know, if you go ask the average person on the street, you know, what is the what is the average what is the interest rate on, you know, a savings account? They can't tell you. They can't even get close, you know. Um, We see that 78
0: percent of people live paycheck to paycheck. So, you know, so so the prescription is, is. You know, in 2020, we're coming up to a new year. Put financial literacy. There's a lot of good resources. The Ramsey Organization, uh, Clark Howard, Susie Orman, uh, the Money Doctors. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that are teaching this stuff. Um, teach your kids. Teach your grandkids. You know, financial literacy improves financial health. So uh, you may not be as literate as you think. So go do some research. So that's your first goal <laughs> for next year. That's number get, one on the list.
1: Get, get financially savvy. That's right. Good topic. All right. That brings us to a close for this week's edition of MoneyMD. MD2. next week, there are more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, MoneyMD.net. Email us your questions at info at MoneyMD.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great Christmas yeah. and New Year.
0: Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from all of us at MoneyMD.